Welcome to the Mo Podcast. A place where individual stories come to life. This is how we need to be communicating with people. This is how we support people's personal development. It's important to speak about people believing in people. The more you're able to let go of your limitation, the more you step into your power, your inner authentic power. Mo, a place for me, others, everyone. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Mo Foundation podcast. We are absolutely delighted to have you here. Now today's episode is going to be hosted by the wonderful Alex Smith who is a Mo trainer and coach himself and he's going to be talking to Imani Clough-Brown who is also a phenomenal coach working with young people and equipping them with the tools that they need to succeed. Now don't be fooled Imani is a powerhouse of an individual and this isn't the only thing that she does. She inspires, encourages and explores so very deeply and in such a humble way. I hope that you enjoy it as much as we have and feel free to share it, like it, comment your thoughts and feedback. Now without further ado, let's get into it. And now I have the blessing to introduce the brilliant and fantastic Imani Clough-Brown. Welcome Imani, thanks for joining us on Podventures. Hi Alex, thanks for that introduction. You're welcome and would you go a little bit deeper into an introduction and tell us a bit about who you are but without referencing job titles, your age or your relation to anybody else? Mm, That's a good, good way to introduce yourself, I think naturally that's what we end up doing isn't it? Yeah. Um, I would say, maybe I'll go with a bit about who I am, my personality. Um, I'd say I'm a quietly confident person who's probably been on a bit of a journey with learning to be comfortable with that. So, yeah, I'd say I'm quietly confident, someone who really values how I spend my time and who I spend that time with. Connection is really important to me and finding meaning in the relationships that I have with people, whether that be in friendships, in workspaces, like connection and yeah, is important to me, but leaning into my quiet confidence is something that I've learning to get more comfortable with. I love that, I love that. And where might we find you in your spare time? Recharging, (laughs) I guess. Probably spending some time alone, um, reading articles or listening to podcasts that I haven't had time to listen to in my day to day. And yeah, probably trying to figure out how I'm going to reconnect with kickboxing, which is a sport that I that I enjoy, but I haven't had much time to reconnect with it in the last couple of years. But at the moment, it's at the forefront of my mind as something that I want to reconnect with. So you might find me. Yeah, listening to podcasts, reading articles that I haven't had chance to get round to, or figuring out how I can reconnect with my sport of choice. Wicked. And when was it that you were last kickboxing? Prior to the pandemic, actually. So when the pandemic happened back in 2020, obviously, we were all in lockdown and I wasn't able to do my kickboxing and then when we all emerged again 
it was very much like, do I want to be doing a contact sport and be that close to people? <laughs> but now I think I've come to terms with that. Yeah, this is something that brings me, brings me a bit of joy, the discipline that I need. So, yeah. But I've done Wicked. it quite a few years before that. Wicked. Yeah, that adjustment from or readjusting to social norms, particularly relating to mm. space and contact, I think took all of us some time or changed, yeah, ch changed what, how we all felt about that in, in some way. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And give us an overview of your portfolio career in this moment. My portfolio career in this moment. Yeah, I guess I'm at the moment I'm a I'm stepping into the next phase of the next decade of work. Um, but the first decade of my portfolio career, I've spent a lot of that time in education and social care. Uh -huh. So the start of my career was in education and social care, supporting children and people, uh, a lot around contextual safeguarding. So those young people who are at key transitions in their lives experiencing quite a few challenges um whether they were care experienced young people living away from their birth families or young people just struggling with the transition of adolescence and responsibility and the pressure that comes with being a young person and having expectations um of of the of themselves so i spent a lot of time there in pastoral leadership roles and supporting the well-being of young people and I grew quite frustrated with the systems of education and social care and realized that I could probably do a lot more to support young people if I step away from being in that space for a while and create my own thing in terms of how I'd like to engage with young people and support them on those journeys. And I created my own um, passion project, which, which turned into an organization, um, Imani Academy, which where we now deliver youth participation programs and training um, with young people directly, supporting them with their own character and leadership development, but also training practitioners and those that engage with young people around positive youth engagement and leadership. Amazing. So it's taken a little career twist and turns at different points and led me into different spaces around coaching and leadership development with underrepresented groups, um, but the two often meet in the middle. Um, so my portfolio career has started in the roots of education and social care, but stepped more into like social impact, leadership development, young people and underrepresented groups. And they kind of meet in the middle and complement each other at different points. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. As someone who also has a background in, in education, I still remember when I was doing the, the MO course, uh, thinking, wow, this is how we should be communicating and supporting and helping young adults to develop into the adults they want to be using coaching mm -hmm. models rather than using the models I've been trained to use as a teacher or the models I was using on a daily basis. And I was just so much more passionate about the coaching than what I was doing as a teacher. And then for me, coaching feels like a really natural um, continuation of that. I'm supporting individuals on a one-to-one -one basis um, to be what they want to be. How does that yeah. feel? Or does any of that make sense or feel similar to you or different? Yeah, because in my roles, when I've been in education or working in social care, I often found that there was very much a deficit model 
around mentoring and supporting young people. It was often put in place if young people were out of step with the education system or they were rebellious or they weren't doing things as they should be to the letter. And often some of that was literally the impulsiveness of adolescence and just managing what's going on for them and connecting with the importance of decision making and what it means to to be a leader and taking agency over different things. But yeah, mentoring and the support for young people for me was often done from a deficit point of view. And my school of thought and how I wanted to work with young people was very much about leaning into the strengths that they already have and recognising those and leading with that rather than what's wrong. Um, And coaching was something that I felt I was doing in the background and supporting young people to kind of step into their leadership and realise what's on the horizon for them and broaden their aspirations. And I think coaching allows young people, as well as adults, that space to kind of pause for a moment um, and lean into that. Whereas when I was in schools, like I was saying, the mentoring, not saying that mentoring doesn't have a good place because I'm very much a champion for mentoring as well, but in a school context, often where I've seen it not done so well is through that deficit lens of like, let's fix what's wrong here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and so, so often in the education system, extra support, whether that's coaching, mentoring or something else, is given to those who, only to those who most need it. Is there any difference in how you target the support you're providing to young people? Uh, yeah, so I think, I think everybody can benefit from having a sounding board. I agree. Um, like, I think anybody can. And because I'm very much of like really thinking about the leadership focus and supporting ourselves at those where there's where there is challenge but also where there's space to be stretched so yeah my approach really is about providing that space for anybody um but really leaning into the character development aspect what's it going to do for you if you are able to be given this time space and commitment from somebody Um, who's going to give you that support and scaffolding to be able to dream and vision about what's possible. And I think everybody should have the opportunity to dream, to vision, um, to reflect, to plan. Um, And that should be for anybody, regardless of whether there's a challenge or um, a success at play. Like we can reflect on our successes as well as our challenges. So for young people, women's as since we're talking about education I think yeah like you say it is often where there's a where there's a challenge but providing that space for those who have successes as well and getting them to think about well what's next for me yeah I love that and it's no real surprise to me that I'm like yeah I want to spread coaching as widely as possible something something we're Mm. both really passionate about of course we want everyone to be involved um which is which is great and it sounds like it's very it's coaching around character development or you know long, long-term personal impact rather than around pragmatic things or challenges that are coming up in the coaches or the participants lives at the moment is that right yeah i think when i'm working with young people it is about um being quite 
aspirational orientated but also thinking about their own character strengths as I said and leaning into those mm. but when I'm working with those in the social impact space as a coach it's recognizing the complexity that they work in so for those often the women who I'm working with and people from underrepresented uh, groups it's often recognizing that with the space that you're working in um, and recognizing the complexity that they're that they're navigating how do we support you to still achieve those goals without burning out um, and are often purpose-driven leaders and professionals who've got dreams and aspirations for how they want to see the world um, but are often working at a million miles per hour so it's mm -hmm. about providing them that space to align that vision um, and not burn out um, step away from the hustle for a moment and just think of a a roadmap and a structure that works for them but not ignoring the context that they're working in so that's often the approach that I'm taking in that space but as I say the two often feed each other even when I'm working with the young people recognizing the context context that they're in but supporting them to lean into the strengths and shake off some of the labels that society has probably placed upon upon them that has created a picture and a um persona that they sometimes feel that they have to live up to I want them to kind of redefine that and reintroduce themselves almost by the end of our coaching or mentoring relationship like who are you now and who do you want to be yeah yeah brilliant I, I, I love that and there's two tangents that are coming up in my mind there one which uh, you and I have already spoken about planning to joyfully explore in this conversation around intersectionality and around the you know some of the challenges and how coaching can be used to address challenges in present society and the other tangent so I just want to catch that but not jump down that just yet and the other tangent that came to my mind was um, it's such an interesting idea of how would my coachee or if you're talking workshops or training, how would the participants like to use this for immediate, pragmatic, this, what's neat, this is what I want to change in my life immediately or for that maybe longer term self-development or... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure how to finish that sentence, so I'll just leave it there, that longer-term self-development. Um, mm -hmm. Any just kind of like headline ideas that come up when I say that's a tangent that I think might have a lot of depth for us to explore? Yeah, in terms of like the <clears throat> the direction of where coaches want to go. Yeah, yeah, or what's what coaching is most appropriate to, to be used for or, or what you typically end up using it for, any of that. Yeah, so... Often the clients that I engage with or interact with, they are at points where they are, they've got a lot on their plate. So there's lots going on. And I often trying to find that space for them to look at, well, what are the obstacles in the way? What am I noticing about myself? Who are the people that support me? Um, and reminding them that they don't live on an island because especially as entrepreneurial, purpose-driven people and especially people who are black or women of colour who come from specific uh, groups where there may be, may be challenged but also strength within that, um, they're often working, as I say, at a million miles an hour but also supporting, their, their work is often supporting the groups that they also come from, which means that there sometimes isn't an, an end to when the workday finishes because they are part of those communities as well. So it's often about being boundaried 
how do we be boundaried with our work um, and how do we be boundaried with ourselves so that so it's trying to figure out what does that look like for me in terms of if these are the goals that I have how can I be boundaried with my approach but still succeed so these are some of the conflicts that often come up in those conversations but we try and frame them in the best way that we can in terms of being joyful and celebratory but not so oblivious and naive to, as I say, like the context that they're often navigate, navigating. And it is quite complex, especially if it's social justice work, for instance, or with the young people and just recognising that life is tough, is tough, but how do we find those moments of joy, those moments of celebration um, with, with, with one another and for themselves? Amazing, thank you. Yeah, something that stood up for me was the idea that if they're also... Um, they belong to a group they're helping that 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 work or that engagement in that um, part of facet of their life doesn't always end um, was kind of yeah intuitively wow yeah that really makes sense but maybe and that really isn't obvious um, so that, that that really stood out to me so thank you um, okay and so yeah like I said really want to ju- jump down that rabbit not rabbit hole that lovely uh, tangent um, but not just yet um, coming back to that portfolio career so working um, with Amani Academy this passion project and developing your your role in ed- educational and social care what does a typical week or fortnight look like for you yeah Phil that sounds like a really loud question. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what my, yeah. what does my work week and work structure look like and how do I provide boundaries for myself as well? Uh-huh. Um, I guess two, two to three days a week, I work with a social justice organization, um, supporting their membership community, their campaigners and community organizers um, in their work. And I offer coaching there, but I also support with, ensuring that we reach the right people, essentially our stakeholders and partners. So I hold that as the partnerships and uh, creator of community, creator of community and partnerships. So I hold that responsibility with that group. And then two to three days of the other, the rest of the week, I'm working on Imani Academy, which means I am creating programs. I am delivering training. Um, whether that's directly with young people around character and leadership development, having lots of conversations with them about the difference between fitting in and belonging um, and the conversation that that brings up for them. Um, How do they make decisions and choices and how does that affect their leadership and what it means to be a leader and their own character development journeys? Um, and that will also lead me into facilitating training with those practitioners as well. So it can be a week of delivering and facilitating and working in the social justice space. And then if it's a week like this week, it's more of a pause where I'm creating the content for for those sessions. Um, and I may be doing a few coaching sessions in between on different accelerator programs with um, purpose-driven leaders and women entrepreneurs. Amazing, thank you for that overview. And you said you know you're still f- figuring out, still on that journey of getting to understand or or configure your your work week or fortnight or month or however time period seems most relevant to you. What are some of the things that you do do already that you'd feel comfortable sharing about how you set boundaries with your time or structure your time? 
yeah, one thing that I introduced, uh, was it last year? Yeah, I'd say about mid part through last year was I don't have meetings before 10 a.m. Um, I know I'm not a morning person yeah. and I like to have a slower start to my morning. Um, and that's just something that I've started to gift myself and not rush to get to my desk to be jumping straight into a Zoom call. So I don't really have any Zoom calls or any Zoom contact screen time before 10 a.m. Just it. so that I can have breakfast and not rush my tea. Like I just want to be still for a moment yeah. before I jump straight into the day. Um, and I know that by three o'clock, my brain starts to switch off. So any work that requires me to be focused and in the zone, if it's creative work, needs to really be done between 10 and 2 p.m. Yeah. And at three by 3 p.m. I can have any of those meetings or responding to emails. The bits that don't require too much of my energy, I'll do later in the afternoon. But between 10 and 2 is my creative time to just get stuff done and focus and then if I've got sessions in the evening I'll just take my time on those days where I know that I've got need to preserve my energy for facilitation in the later in the day but it's taken me a bit of time to create that rhythm um, and I'm still learning what what works for me as a freelancer and somebody that also works part-time in in other organizations yeah yeah, brilliant. Thank you for sharing. And when you said about the, you know, no calls before 10 a.m. and saying I need to give that to myself, I thought, yeah, you're also gifting it, gifting it to other people. You know, gifting your presence or gifting a greater presence in those calls. Um, and then there's also the gifting uh, to people that really didn't want to book that meeting with you before 10 a.m. themselves, but maybe maybe weren't in a place where they understood that boundary for themselves. Yeah, that's too. true. Um, mm -hmm. I start work at 10 a.m. on my self-employed days um, and that feels like, yeah, like just feels perfect for me. Um, yeah. That question ca came to mind particularly because one of my, one of the memories that stands out from when we first met a few years ago, Marnie, was um, from any of the comp Zoom calls in those group Zoom calls we were in, was that on you left Fridays for your admin days or you didn't have any calls mm. or anything on Friday. It was just admin on those days. And for some reason, that's a memory that has always been strongly attached to, to you in my mind. Yeah. How did that technique or strategy uh, evolve or stop, serv stop serving you? Yeah, so I used to do a Zoom free Friday, didn't I? Um, as you can hear by the used to. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not, it's not, not really not really stuck but zoom free fridays for me were at a point in my life at that time where i was i was doing a lot mm. um all at the same time and i just needed one day a week where i was not looking at a screen and having somebody else looking back at me <laughs> and also seeing myself as well i just needed that space like i'm happy to just have a phone call but yeah. i don't really want to be on camera um, and that is something that I still do sometimes where I might message somebody if I've got meetings on a Friday and say, just to let you know, I'm still happy to have that call, but I might not have my camera on. Um, it's just being nice. aware that sometimes I just don't want to be on screen 24-7 and have someone staring straight back at, back at me. Yeah. And me also being hyper aware of myself on the screen too. Um, but yeah, Fridays now are used for coaching calls and admin in the afternoons and in the mornings 
an early afternoon I'll have a few calls some of those will be on zoom or they could be phone calls I just go with what my energy is saying and people who I work with now um are also often in that space as well so it doesn't yeah. feel like I'm being like oh okay we, you don't want to be on screen it doesn't feel rude we've we've all got those types of boundaries yeah, with each other so it feels comfortable for me to say oh today's not a zoom camera day so you're welcome to turn yours off as well and we can just have our our call that way and i think it's just introducing new norms especially since a lot of our time is spent on screen these days but being on screen wasn't new to me prior to um uh covid and pandemic and work arrangement adjustments but because we're doing that a lot more now just think it's okay to invite new ways of working into even your virtual working day yeah absolutely yeah it's so funny how during lockdown we all got so used to using video as a video call as a medium and then quickly and yeah absorb this oh and i'm expected to be on video on camera the whole time yeah Mm. but then also probably didn't take that long for people to become like accepting of the nuances of that or we're using it so much maybe we learn quite quickly perhaps i'm not sure um I'm going to share something with you that I do when I'm off camera or when I don't have to be on camera. Sometimes uh, I end up lying down on my bedroom on my bedroom floor uh, <laughs> when I'm work, working from home, and I put I put like a bag or a backpack or a pillow behind my head, and I'll, I'll be lying down. And you know, it doesn't change the quality of my coaching. I hope, mm-hmm. um, but it feels it just feels right. It's like the right space for me to be having that conversation. And it's funny the different things we do. Uh, mm-hmm. m- maybe just like your body posture or your position when we when we don't have to be on camera but when I'm on camera I I wouldn't lounge in the same way or make my or no not lounge I wouldn't make myself comfortable in the same way yeah yeah it's true I notice similar things like I'm more likely to pace up and down if I'm not yeah. um on screen I can walk around move my legs realize oh I actually haven't stood up from my desk for yeah. the last two two hours like yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's just important to connect with your body um, yeah. and just move move a bit more because if we have more, I find conversations are richer as well when I get a chance to move around. Don't know if that's just me, but mm. that's what I find. No, I'm sure you're not alone there. And it's funny how, yeah, it's perfectly normal for us to see someone walking around while moving or, you know, pacing, you know, to, to have their thoughts or, you know, sitting in a different posture while they're talking because typically coaching conversations are long conversations of half an hour an hour Mm -hmm. but we have this idea or often at least I have this idea that it's not right for me to do that or that that's like professional yeah (laughs) what silly what silly idea to have absorbed um okay interesting to explore that and coming back coming back to your story and um if that's where your portfolio is now, kind of two or three days a week, partners and community building there, two or three days a week with Amani Academy and this, this accelerator, uh, this incubator accelerator. Yeah, accelerator know. programs, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that's the portfolio now, tell us where you were in your life when coaching first came across your horizon. Yeah, when coaching first, when I was first, well, I guess when I was first introduced to, to Mo, um, it was during, oh, I I started my Mo coaching course in October 2020. So I had not long just been made redundant from a role that I was working in full time. I was also 
just finishing my character education master's degree. Um, and I was thinking about what, I got, what, am, what are my next steps? Am I going to go back into full-time work and do Mining Academy, continue to do Mining Academy work part-time? Um, or am I going to take the leap and do do this freelance thing and literally just go for it? And that's where Mo Coaching came in. So it was almost like a double benefit for me. I kind of needed that space to engage with what coaching could be for me because I needed a coach because to support me to make some of those decisions. But I also had a lot of people reaching out to me for support um, through that time when everybody was made redundant or on furlough and mm. experiencing just a lot of challenges. And I was doing quite a lot of pro, pro bono support as a mentor and a coach that wasn't certified, but I'd had different coaching certificates and programs that I'd been on. And I thought, if I want to support people in the best way, let me just do a bit of additional scaffolding here and do a coaching course. So that's what I did with Mo whilst also having my own coach as well. So okay. it came at a time for me where kind of need kind of needed that space to one upskill for myself but I needed coaching at a point that there was just lots going lots going on and it was quite a difficult time of redundancy and well what do I do next I don't have that safety net of just jumping from one job to the next which I was quite used to doing yeah yeah thank you and what made you choose Mo as the training provider for that scaffolding that you wanted the gifted um, approach, I was gifted a place. Um, at the time I wasn't able to afford the coaching course itself and having that gift model of coaching really spoke to me in that sense of like, actually when the time is right and the time comes again, I'll be able to gift my time back and I'll be able to pay in a different way. And that I really liked that in the sense that it didn't feel transactional and that it really mm. spoke to the personal development and the support that goes into having a coaching space that feels like a community, which is what which is what Mo has been and that's how we've met and other yeah. people within the Mo community that I still speak to. And I really liked that compared to other coaching courses, which felt very much sales, 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 salesy, like if you get what I mean. Um, whereas this speaks more to my vibe. Yeah, yeah, I get exactly what you mean. I think coaching is such a personal and compassionate tool or, or or thing and even when a training provider can communicate really clearly the the humanity in their course mm -hmm. or, or in the way in which they really center that um, compassion when you see a huge price tag next to it it can still mm -hmm. make us feel that kind of that tension of oh you know is this is this is this advertising yeah. or is this authenticity um yeah I, 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 that's how i feel when i see that mm -hmm. uh -huh. and then when you're on the mo course have you got any vivid memories or anything specific from a mo course that stands out i just appreciated the care that was given to the to the training i don't know that's just always the one thing that sticks with me um kat and daniela were the trainers for my Mo Coach training. And they just brought so much energy and a balance that each of them bring. And I just really appreciated their authenticity and the care that they gave to the coach training and to us. And then I was able to 
have Kat as a coach as well. Um, and we've stayed in contact and I just, I just appreciate the energy and the care that's given by, by both of them. And yeah, the space that was opened up for us to just be gently challenged and pushed in the right direction and have that space to practice. And yeah, it was just very structured and very well, well cared for. Love that. Love that. And yeah, huge shout out to both Kat and Daniela who incidentally have also been like, yeah, inspirational figures in my coaching journey as well. They both have such a, yeah, such a, such a compassionate humanity, such Mm -hmm. a gentleness and such, both have such wisdom. Um, Kat, Daniela, if you're listening, (laughs) we love you. Thank you. Shout out to Daniela. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. And then do you remember what you did? immediately following the mo course i'm thinking uh you know the following week the following month that felt like an immediate next step from that mo course at that time i was a serial um learner i'm a lifelong learner i'm always engaging in some kind of learning um my how i engage with learning now is very different to how i engaged with learning back then Back then, learning for me was very much about I need to credentialise myself um, and prove that I've got the credentials to be doing X, which I've been on a journey with. I'm part of that journey, was I ran a learning marathon, a huddle, with an organisation called Huddlecraft, um, which was a six-month learning journey with 10 other people around the theme of education for liberation which was about bringing people together who were coming from all walks of life, all walks of all different backgrounds, but were all connected to the theme of what it means to be a liberated learner and connecting with um, their experience of education, what learning means to them, whether that was from a home homeschooling parent, unschooling and unlearning different schools of thought, um, being a learning designer, lots of different backgrounds essentially and we all explored together for six months what that meant and we had different learning questions that guided us and that was something that I hosted um, pretty much straight after the Mo course and that allowed me to engage with my coaching skills because I was supporting a group of um, 10 other people and I was also going on that journey myself because we it's a peer-to-peer program so that was something that I went straight into after that, which allowed me to exercise my facilitation skills, but also my coaching skills, which has kind of led me on that journey as a coach and a facilitator in terms of what I do now when I'm not doing my work within Money Academy. Brilliant. Thank you. And then, yeah, you mentioned Kat as being, what Kat and Daniela as being two of the people that trained your maybe early figures in that coaching um, felt like mentors or felt like um, yeah felt like mentors in some way are there any other peers mentors or even mentees that you'd like to mention or nod to that have been an important part of your story mm, that's a good question I always say there's been I've had many mentors throughout my teenage years and also adolescence and adulthood people who probably don't realize they've been mentors to Mm. me um whether that be people within the community people who are within my own 
family who've inspired me in different ways just through the characters that traits that they have or things that they've done or even things that they've said to me that they don't realize actually you know what that stuck with me for some time and if I didn't understand it back then I do now so there's those many people um, and then I would say in my school years I'd had mentors who supported me at points where there was challenges for me I'd experienced a bereavement experienced a family bereavement um, when I was 13, 14, my grand, granddad passed away and we were very, very close. And people often think, oh, it's only a, only a grandparent, but no. it's it's very, it's, yeah. If you've, if you've had a grandparent who you had a significant close relationship with, when they leave, um, especially through when you're experiencing grief, it can be a very challenging point. And it was at a point where it was that GCSE year, there's lots going on there and you've got to, figure out what your next steps are for your future and it was very much like okay this span has been thrown in the works now what now what do I do and I was fortunate to have a mentor who supported me in the way that I needed at that time so I'd say that was my first kind of introduction to somebody outside of who wasn't a family member or someone in the community who was able to be like you know what Imani let me bring you back onto this boat and here's be the armbands that I needed essentially is what I could say uh and she was she was brilliant. So I'd say that was a, my first experience in the sense of there are people out there who do really want the best for you, and they can support you when you when you really need it. And I guess in another sense, I've had mentors in who supported me in business and my own leadership journey. I was fortunate to be mentored by West Midlands Mayor um, Andy Street, and he's been a great support in my leadership journey as stepping into entrepreneurship and we still speak now and although we come from two different worlds we've learned a lot from each other in the sense of an insight into what it's like to be me um, but also working with the, the work that I do and working with young people so industry has been able to have an insight into that world but also he's been able to support me in terms of leadership and some of the challenges that come with that and understanding what he's had to do and the challenges that come with that and offering insight and guidance so we've learned a lot from each other in that sense um so yeah I'd say those are two people at two different ends of the spectrum where my leadership journey but also the personal aspect of yeah what you do when you're experiencing those challenges in life and you don't want to sink but you need somebody to kind of push you in the right direction and support you on the next phase of your journey yeah brilliant thank you yeah sorry a bit of a long answer but yeah uh, <laughs> apology rejected uh, I, I love that i think it's great great that we've heard that uh, and yeah i love that you also caught that the the value in those relationships those kinds of relationships is so often two-way you know, it's a two-way street and mm-hmm. you know just as you've benefited from um, their support they've benefited from 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 your role in, in that connection and I think that's always the case in any or in my experience in in mentorships but it can, can often be painted as just a one-way street or just you know the mentor uh, the mentee benefiting from a mentor's experience um, so I'm really happy mm-hmm. you kind of you, you caught that because it's something I really really agree with or, or really believe strongly myself yeah and I'd even say you asked about like any mentees or coaches that have taught me anything because I've had worked with so many young people 
I'm now, I say at an age, like I'm really old, but <laughs> at an age where some of the young people who I mentored when they were 14, 15, reach back out to me now in their, they're now 19, 20, and will message me and be like, oh, I'm so grateful for the time that we had together. I'm doing this now, or they want to come back and work with me or shadow and just stay connected in a different way. And it's interesting how those mentoring relationships grow and mature as your coach or your mentee does as well. And they've inspired me in lots of different ways in terms of where I was also at in that, that point when I was mentoring or coaching them. And just seeing the growth that they've been on is quite inspiring in the sense of, yeah, yeah you've experienced a lot of adversity and challenge as well, but look, you've managed to make it through and see the other side and just seeing that glow that they now now have is often a very big reminder in terms of yeah what role we play for people at different points in their lives and how that also impacts us as we grow on our own journeys as well as you're almost you're basically I often say like you're a guide essentially walking side by side with people so what can you learn um in that experience as you're walking with them brilliant yeah and with coaching you know we're with people uh, when we're working one-to-one for a certain period of time mm. and often that like you said you know this this example of checking back in after a certain period of time with someone and it taking you back to where you started from and it probably took them back to where they started from as well thinking about it through a coaching lens that uh kind of broad view perspective of hey here's where we were when we first met and started mm-hmm. exploring coaching together those are often the moments that I find most interesting or most, I don't know, there's a certain, um, there's a real momentous feeling when you get to do a reflection over a period of six months or you know, mm-hmm. maybe even, even longer periods of time. And hey, this is, do you remember where we were or like what, what was being said in those moments? Um, feels, always feels really powerful to have that, to have that reflection point. Definitely. And then just going back to, okay, finishing the MO course, um, is there any advice that you'd give someone who's a newly qualified coach? Potentially, you could use yourself as a, oh, I can imagine what advice I'd have liked to receive, if that's easier or more interesting. Mm. Um, I probably would say to trust yourself, trust yourself is one thing I would say. Probably this is advice that I would have given myself back then um, as well. Like trust that you have the ability to be able to do that attentive listening. You don't necessarily need all of your notes on um, with your questions that you've got in the bag that you're gonna ask. It's just about really taking that moment to pause and tune in to what your coachee is saying and the questions do come because I find now as a coach I'm very intuitive Mm -hmm. in my coaching and I just trust that I will know what to say depending on what my coachee says if that makes sense so I guess yeah for a newly qualified coach I'd say trust yourself Um, coaching for me was very intuitive and it took me a bit of time to believe that I know what I'm doing here and there was a reason why I wanted to do this course in the first place because people were already trusting me with their journeys as it is. I just wanted that extra scaffolding to feel that I could support them in the right way. So 
yeah mm. trust yourself you're you're a, you're a coach you're qualified you're certified yeah go with it really feel like you're speaking to to me directly there <laughs> i mean you you are on this call but also in giving that advice so maybe something about where you said it or maybe about something where i heard it but uh yeah i really heard that directly I, yeah thank you Marnie. i will trust myself you're welcome um and, and yeah i think that that intuition and the role it plays in coaching is fascinating do you feel like that intuition was something that was always there for you or it's something that you've developed or that's emerged I think I started this call by saying that I'm a quietly confident person hmm. and that level of intuition has always been with me but sometimes at various points I've pushed it away or just felt like I've needed to do things in a different way because that's what society says. Um, so yeah, I'd say I've kind of grown into that trusting my intuition and staying with it rather than ignoring it which is very much I feel connected to yeah, the quiet confidence that I feel I have. And I say quiet because I don't feel like I need to be loud with it. Mm. I often do what I do, work quietly in the background. I might emerge every now and then and say, hey, I'm still here. I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, but I am, in previous points, I probably felt like I needed to be here, there and everywhere and make it known that this is what I'm doing because... It felt like that's what I needed to do to kind of keep up with keep up with myself and the pace of life generally. But I just don't feel that I need to do that anymore. So, yeah, just being comfortable with that and trusting the intuition that I know I have and sticking with it, if that yeah. answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, modesty is definitely an adjective I, I'd happily use to, to describe you. Um, or, yeah, that that grounded yeah quite confidence love it and so if there's this idea that hey i always had this intuition um are there any strategies you use to allow it to emerge or to develop it something i probably learned in um uh my other coaching relationship i had with a somatic coach was about connecting with the body, the nervous system and responding to what it needs and recognizing what happens for me in certain situations and not ignoring that. So if something comes up for me that feels challenging, rather than going straight to, oh, but my head feels this, what does the body feel, do and say? and listening and leading with that and just noticing at different points what happens when there's joy or there's frustration or there's sadness and kind of connecting with that a bit more and allowing myself to have that space and time to reflect and tune into who I am with a somatic coach I think has helped me in my decision making um, how I respond to things how I choose to do things in work and in life generally has been influenced by that um, which is why I say I've been on a journey with it which is why I feel I'm a lot more confident now to just actually yeah I am going to listen to what my intuition says here because this is what the nervous system needs. Wicked yeah I heard that in that that uh, listening to your intuition isn't just something that happens internally in your mind also no. in your body 
yeah, yeah. and listening to your body is something that allowed that you to maybe connect more deeply or to simplify that connection with your intuition yeah i would i would say so we spend a lot of time in our heads so much um, naturally yeah. <laughs> and too much time we, got, yeah like i i'm not saying i'm per- like perfect i definitely still do spend a lot of time in my own head but hmm. i notice it more and i think it's reminding being having that self-awareness to notice when you are doing it to give yourself that grace of just a two-minute pause and being like okay what's coming up for me what is it that I'm going to lead with and it becomes more of a habit that naturally you respond by listening to both of those parts of you the head and what the body is saying and then feeling like okay this is the one I'm going to lead with maybe it's the head today but today it's going to be the what the body needs love that thank you brilliant and then thinking going from like hey some specific practice or actually no let's let's stay with that you mentioned um somatic practice in our call uh, last week would you mm. just share a little bit for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the term or with that practice of kind of a brief outline of what that is and then would you go on to tell us a little bit about how you use it or maybe how you learned to use it or how you started using it or pick your own question that seems more compelling. <laughs> I was thinking, which one do you want me to go with here? <laughs> yeah, question yeah, stacking. I, I'm not a somatic coach myself, but I've had somatic coaching. It is something that I'm exploring in terms of how I can use it in my work, um, especially with social justice in the social justice space with campaigners and community organizers who are working in environments that are quite emotive and require a lot of their own energy. So how do they find those spaces to pause, um, to breathe, to rest, um, and using rest as a practice of giving them that space and time back for themselves and just honoring that. So. It's something that I'm exploring in that space in terms of how can we bring somatics into social justice work and in a coaching practice with people who are community organisers working in complexity. But my introduction to somatic coaching um, for me was really understanding about the body, those moments of pause and being able to breathe. Often it can be connected with like meditation practices or um, awareness Um, in terms of doing different things that the body needs. Some people do tapping or, I can't remember the phrase now, but tapping is what's coming to me and I'm doing this. You can see what I'm doing, Alex. (laughs) Yeah, tapping shoulders or or sometimes collarbone or temple as a body that's particularly accessible. Exactly, and bringing awareness to to the body. Um, And something that my coach at the time used to say to me, like, Oh, if you get an email about a specific topic, where do you feel it in your body? Like, rather than what does your head say, where do you feel it in your body? Like, where does the frustration live? Does the tension live in your shoulders? Do you feel it in your stomach? Or do you feel a tight feeling in your chest? Or do you notice that you haven't been breathing for a while? So she used to ask me questions like that. I'd be like, actually, I did notice that. (laughs) Anytime, anytime I get an email about X, yeah. I realise that I take like a a sharp inhale and then mm. ah, probably not breathing as um as as naturally as I was before. Just yeah. little things like it sounds quite for some people it can sound very like airy fairy and woolly, mm-hmm. but for me it was 
a good way of releasing some of the anxiety that can yeah. often be held in different parts of the body where yeah. you don't realize why is this tension in my shoulders so strong and then you realize actually it's connected to this so yeah use it that's how i was introduced to it but i've also seen the benefits it can have in spaces where people are experiencing trauma mm. and in this example of email you use tension is the emotion that you're exploring or that you're engaging with always tension for me or just generally in general i'm thinking in somatic practices are there you know are we just focusing on emotions that are around tension or you know can that be the exact same exploration but with maybe joy opening an email or oh yeah definitely definitely yeah yeah definitely it's about a spectrum of emotions but just recognizing Mm. how you how do you embody them and how do you engage with them how do you notice them do you ignore them do you quieten them how do you bring the conscious this uh subconscious into the conscious space like all of those things that we do as a autopilot how do you take yourself off autopilot to actually engage with it and really really enjoy it because one of the things we always talked about as well is like how do you actually celebrate yourself do you just see it as oh it's just another thing that i've done and move on how do you actually just sit with it for a moment and engage in it so yeah it's not just about challenges it's also about joy brilliant brilliant um and just uh define somatic coaching or you know somatic practice for us in a sentence or two oh gosh um i can only describe it in a way that it would be for me which yeah, would be on. about connecting with the nervous system and the body to yeah connect with the nervous system and the body to Wicked. bring the subconscious into the conscious brilliant yeah yeah that would be my personal definition yeah thank you um it seems really closely related to coaching i so often describe coaching as bringing wisdom from the subconscious into the conscious so to Mm. do to do so in a hey i'm going to do so rather than using kind of rationality or conversation i'm going to get someone to explore what they're feeling not in, in the head or the heart but in their physical body that makes perfect sense to me yeah for sure just connecting with all the feels yeah and i'd love to hear about you know you're saying hey, this is something i'm exploring i'd love to hear about that but I'm really conscious of time and i also really want to make space to hear um about what change you'd like to see in the coaching industry or community yeah so what change would i like to see in the coaching industry or community yeah uh accessibility um, it's just something that's on my mind at the moment in terms of coaching. Um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, it can be quite expensive or um, something you've got to invest quite a lot of money in, in terms of accreditations, but also for people you're engaging with, how do we make it more accessible in terms of their own personal development? Um like I've been fortunate to be able to be an associate coach with different organisations. So I've been happy with the monetary value and how much of my time is valued at. But I think there's also a space for making coaching accessible for people who perhaps do not have the funds in that sense. So I offer my coaching when it's one-to-one and not associate work on a sliding scale. So it's almost like a pay pay as you feel 
within these boundaries and brackets um, so that people can choose. Me, it's basically me just trusting that people will choose the tier and the package that feels appropriate for where they are financially in their lives at the moment. And that's because often coaching can be very expensive and it's very salesy and driven by like, they're going to change your life, which that isn't my philosophy at all. So I guess there's a few things there around the language of coaching and how we invite people into that coaching relationship, but also the accessibility of coaching from a financial standpoint for people to invest in their personal development how can you make it accessible lovely and i just share, share something similar to, to add another uh, related example to that conversation um mm-hmm. with, with my practice i've calculated if i'm going to work four days a week with no more than four sessions a day because that's my limit of coaching sessions i can do in a day and still be present and impactful um, and I know what my living wage is based on my general life expenses. I'd need to charge this much per session. And then mm. I, I tell clients, this is the rate, my, my hourly rate. But if that doesn't work for you, please suggest a rate. And if it's above my living wage, that's the rate we'll coach at. Kind of similar to, sim- similar to you. Um, just to, just to add, add, add another example, because I don't mm, I like often... That often see or hear about it so yeah it's really relevant you say hey this is something I, I a change I'd like to see or what I'd love the coaching community to be talking about because yeah I, I don't think it is super common and it is something that is can be can be can be really expensive are there any other techniques or strategies you've seen coaches using to that you felt have been really good examples of integrating accessibility to their practice or their entrepreneurship Hmm. um yeah so a skill swap almost like a skill swap and share like Mm. i can offer you x amount of coaching hours if you're able to help me with something so somebody might be able to afford two coaching sessions but can't afford five which is what they would really want and need yeah. So they are offered the other three to make up the five, um, but in exchange for something that they're able to offer their coach, that might be some marketing and communication support, which is a skill that they might have that the coach need, coach needs. So they're able to take, yeah, swap their skills for time. Yeah, I love that. And it recognises that there's so much value in the world that's beyond financial or monetary value. Um, but often mm-hmm. when we're thinking of, here's something I do for commerce work, or here's something to do with my job, uh, the compensation has to be has to be monetary. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just finding different ways to still collaborate, support and work with people. But how can you do that that is an economy of something else other than money? Yeah, 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 and yeah, it feels it. It feels so important to for coaching to be accessible, widely accessible, accessible to those most in need, not just those with money. How can we? Yeah, how can we get further with that as a as a coaching community? How can we? How can we progress that? I think it goes back to. Yeah, the language of coaching sometimes, it does depend on your sector of coaching. Like if you're coaching executives or people who 
want to make, I don't know, six figures, those types of coaches. It depends what kind of coach you are, but I think there is space to talk about how coaching is marketed um, in a sense. But yeah, I think because of the industry of coaching I'm in, it is often with people who are working in social impact, social justice. So there isn't often that, well, I don't find anyway, that salesy approach. But in the wider coaching community, if you as a coach are looking for other coach coaches to have conversations with about money and accessibility, it can be a challenge because it does just feel like everybody talks about yeah. sales and marketing. Yeah, and maybe this uh, false idea that the more you're charging, the better the coach you are, or the more you're being paid, the more valuable your work. Uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely an idea that I, yeah, probably absorbed when, when I started coaching, or, or and certainly came across when I was co- coaching, or soon after I qualified. Mm. But I think the approach that you shared that you have at the moment, in terms of explaining the living wage, how many hours, how many days a week that you work, is good to have with coaching clients because it it communicates that transparency. So yeah, I think there's something to be said about transparency in terms of when you're onboarding clients. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, ooh, can you ever have too much transparency, Imani? I feel like we're well, right, <laughs> go on. <laughs> where do, where, is this a new conversation? Where do we go? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that, that's a huge one. Maybe just <laughs> a, a nice, uh, yeah. a nice, uh, you know. Boundaried, boundaried transparency is what I go for. That feels, that feels measured and wise. I definitely think, uh, yeah, absolute transparency or unconditional transparency could have its problems. And um, mm-hmm. I'm going into quite a literal image. Uh, <laughs> that's where my mind goes when I think of that. I mean, you're looking at the street opposite me. I'm like, yeah, I don't want that transparency. <laughs> no, um, not, not yeah. that way. And on that note, I feel like let's adjourn uh, this podcast. Um, Imani, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us and bringing your grace and wisdom and experience to the table and sharing with us what you've been doing, what you're doing at the moment and what your thoughts are. It's been a really enjoyable conversation for me and I'm sure a really useful conversation for all our listeners. No, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. It was good for us to chat. Thank you. And that concludes the end of the episode with your new host, Alex Smith. And what an episode to really get us going. I think it touched on some really fantastic points there about starting your own practice about really listening to yourself and your body and just understanding what it means to be an intuitive coach, trusting in yourself, believing in yourself and pushing forward in whatever direction you'd like to go in, whilst also taking the time to reflect and recuperate and do what feels right for you. If you would like to be a podcast guest yourself, then please do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear some stories from the Mo community and hear your take on your coaching practice or where else your coaching may have showed up that might not be in the traditional sense of the word. If you'd like to do so, please do get in touch with me at maisie at mofoundation.com. That's M-A-I-S-I-E at mofoundation.com. 
Thanks again for listening and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Bye for now. Now, this is a message for anybody who thinks that life coaching might be the right calling for you, but you're not sure how to attract new clients. So on the 17th of April, we will be having our next Mo Digital Academy. Keely Vuong White, the founder of Kia Ora Coaching, is going to be talking to us about how to attract clients as a new life coach, a 90 minute long introduction to marketing. Now, she's had a fantastic life and has spent 15 years in international corporate marketing and has also learned a thing or two about setting up a business and she's also done her coaching with the Mo Foundation. So she's going to be running a fantastic workshop. We hope to see you there. If you're interested and you'd like to register then please find more information on our website that's mofoundation.com forward slash calendar. Thanks so much and we will see you there.